we're just going to go ahead and get started a little late this morning, but that's okay because we're here together and we're going to open up God's Word, and that is so fun to do together. Um, All right, we're going to do what we always do, take your notebooks out, turn them over, and we're going to talk about the disciplines. Now, Wellspring's purpose is to equip and encourage us, women, here at Grace Bible Church, to shepherd our hearts towards something, towards someone, toward Jesus Christ with something, with the Word of God. So that, there's a reason, so that we live out the gospel, so that we live out the gospel thus strengthening the church, strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's why we're here. That's why we're here, and we have three disciplines that we're focusing on here in Wellspring, and the first one is the heart where she prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. So we must be women who shepherd our hearts with his word. And I'm sure that you know um, just how blessed you are to be learning these kinds of truths. If this is the first time you've heard this or if you're just being reminded of it, coming back, to it, refreshing your mind with it, um, but it, it's a, it's so important that we're reminding one another, and 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 just the fact that you guys are here. Some of you are so young, and um, and um, you are growing in this, in your season of life. Um, I'm not young. I'm old, and um, I <laughs> older, older than most. And <laughs> But I'm personally so thankful for Wellspring um, and these disciplines and just the reminder of how they're, how they're laid out and how it reminds us and encourages us to see how important meeting with him and his word is. Because as I look back on my life, it grieves me to think about the times over the years, especially when I was a new believer and um, when I was young, when I missed this. I missed being with the Lord. When, when really I was just coasting in my walk, when I, and you know when I'm not shepherding my heart, when I'm not pursuing Jesus this way, when I'm not meeting with Him in His Word, I don't have a lot to offer anyone else. I don't have um, my counsel is really weak to others. Um, my prayer life is weak, you know, and and doubt creeps in. Even despair can creep in. When we're shepherding our hearts, um, we're counseling our hearts. We are leading our hearts to the Word of God so that we can meet with Him. That's when we grow. That's when we grow in our love for Him and our affections for Him um, so that we can serve Him, so that we can obey Him. We can know what he, what he wants from us in order to obey him so that we can enjoy him more and more. So it's just so important to be spending time with God and his word. And, you know, not just even once a day, not just once a day, but continually throughout the day, every day, shepherding our hearts with what we know, with what we know to be true about him in his word. He's given us new hearts to bring to his word where he has revealed himself most clearly here in his word. Okay? And we want to encourage you to be the kind of women that diligently pursue this. We must be for the gospel's sake. It's it's not an option for us. We shouldn't think that it's an option. Life is busy. Life is really busy, yes. But let's make this a priority in our lives and let's encourage one another to do that. And it takes discipline. We'll probably be fighting this. We'll probably be fighting this the rest of our lives. But we have to be purposeful and and diligent with this. And then the second discipline is about the relationships in her home. Where she ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. And it's just so easy to skip over this, to leapfrog over these relationships, the people in our homes, to get to other things, to get to other people, places outside of our home, and we place a, a more of a priority on that at times, and we neglect you know, those relationships that God has, has placed us right here in our homes and placed those relationships um, in our lives. 
So we have to be concerned first about those relationships that God's placed right there in our homes and for those that enter into our homes. We, we want to give off an aroma. We want to give off an aroma in our homes of someone who loves God, who loves the gospel, someone who meets with him regularly. We want to make an impact for the gospel there. And, you know, when we see our homes as a place to impact those for Christ, when we see our homes that way, not just a place to fix up and decorate and live and sleep and eat, and all those things are great and all those things are wonderful, but when we see our homes rightly, we'll be purposeful. We will see the sweet opportunity to make an impact for the gospel there, regardless of the season of life that we're in. And it's so encouraging to see so many of you being faithful, diligently caring for your hearts and caring for those in your homes. It's so encouraging to see that. Our kids are grown, and we are empty nesters. And in all honesty, um, I have many regrets in this area. I don't want you to have the same regrets. While you have such an opportunity, especially you ladies with, with children still at home, don't miss this opportunity. It's an awesome once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Looking back, I wasn't as diligent as I wish I'd been. And you know what? I even still struggle in this. But God is so gracious in that it's never too late, never too late to start, right? I love the reminder from Scott a couple of weeks ago when he was introducing Acts. It was such a reminder to me. Nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing. That's encouraging. And that's a reminder we need to always remind ourselves as well. Thirdly, then we come to ministry with a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling our ministry within our household. Those are disciplines one and two. She steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. This is how we minister the gospel to people in the church. This is how the body cares for the body to help the body grow. In our small groups, in our mentoring relationships, in our friendships, next generation ministries, wellspring. That's how we care for others outside of the church as well. And we're going to be stepping into people's lives in the church and outside of the church as we continue to practice discipline one and discipline two. All right, I didn't bring it up here, but take out your outline, if you will, please. And we're going to finish up with our lesson today in Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Um, for those of you who weren't here last week, did you, did you have an opportunity to listen? Yes? Anybody not have an opportunity? Dane? Okay, that's okay, because we're going to do some review. Did you get an opportunity to listen? That's awesome. So... We'll do some review, and then you can always go back. But let's start by reading Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. <clears throat> Suzanne. Thank you. All right. Let's read his word. Do you all have an outline? Good, good, good. All right. Thank you. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this awesome opportunity to gather and open up your word together and in, to encourage one another. God, we are so dependent on you. We need your help. I need your help to speak this morning. God, we love you, and it's only because you first loved us. It's only because you displayed your amazing grace, your mercy to us by saving us, by sending your Son into the world, 
And he was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross for us. Thank you that we now are in him. We now are new creatures. We have new hearts that now have a capacity to love, have a capacity to desire new things, things that are honoring to you. And yet, Lord, we're weak. So I pray that you will help us this morning to be convicted, to be encouraged, to be humble and teachable. Lord, I pray for each and every woman. You know exactly where they're at as they walked into this room this morning. You know our hearts fully, and you love us, and you care, and you've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. And so now, Lord, I pray that you would just work in each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for Wellspring Kids and all the women who faithfully serve. And I pray the same for them, Lord. Would you work in a mighty way there this morning? We commit this morning to you, and we pray that you are honored and glorified. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the question last week and this week or this morning, is are you passionate for salvation's rest? We're going to take a little time to review what we talked about last week. This passage, it's a very sobering uh, warning, very serious. Um, And the writer of Hebrews is telling the Hebrew Christians who are being persecuted for leaving Judaism and they're taking their foot off of the gas and they're coasting and he's telling them that they need to be diligent. They need to be diligent to enter God's rest. God's big salvation rest that's in Christ. The greater rest in Christ. And it's a warning for us as well as Christians that if, that we're called to be diligent. We're called to um, enter into that same rest. So if you've taken your foot off of the gas, if you've kind of pulled back, spiritually speaking. This is a call to you to keep going, to be diligent. God set up his great salvation's rest in a way that requires believers to be diligent. The Christian life is not about coasting. The Christian life is about pursuing. It's about being diligent to enter into the rest that's in Christ. God says there's a promise of rest. Remember, we talked about all of those smaller cycles of rest. They were never the end. They pointed to the greater rest that's in Christ. And the Hebrew writer is concerned that these Hebrew Christians are missing it and that history is repeating itself. That's what's happened all throughout redemptive history. They were not being diligent and they were just coasting, spiritually speaking, and the call it for us is that if we've been coasting, thinking that, you know, I'm saved, I'm saved. I've got fire insurance. That's kind of the attitude that we're tempted to have. And that's really all salvation is. That's such a small view of salvation. And it's so dangerous to think that way. There's a sense in Scripture that we are, as Christians, still being saved. We are still entering that rest. Salvation is that big. It's not just fire insurance. Remember in the New Testament, salvation is spoken of in three different ways. There's a past tense way, we've been saved. There's a future tense, we will be saved. And then there's a present tense, we're being saved. Remember Hebrews 4, verse 3 and 10 refers to the past tense reality for believers. The way of salvation is that we rest from trying to do your own good works to establish your own self-righteousness. We rest from that. We are saved only. We are saved only by entering in through Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for us, for guilty sinners. And when you rest from your own attempts to earn, to establish your own self-righteousness, to make yourself right before God, you've entered into God's rest, period. Done. It's finished. You're in God's rest. In a past tense way. That's a past tense reality for believers. When you're saved, you're saved. And there's a future tense. Entering into the fullness of that rest in heaven. Or until Christ returns. But there's a rest we get right now. 
And that's in Jesus Christ. There's a sense in Scripture that we're still being saved, a present tense reality, and that's the rest we're talking about. We're commanded to be diligent to enter that rest. That's what verse 11 is all about. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. And we need to entrust ourselves to the way that God sets up salvation. He says, I'll finish what I started, and by the way, work it out with fear and trembling. That's how God set salvation up to be. It's God's design, his great plan for salvation. But remember, we're in that mixed condition, right? So in our mixed condition, there are three Ps we talked about that's helpful to remember what we're working out. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. We've been freed from the power of sin. Okay, those were paid for by Christ. But we still have, right, the presence of sin. We still have the presence of sin. And now we fight the presence of sin with new hearts in their mixed condition. We couldn't do that before with our old hearts. But now we can with our new hearts, with and from the gospel, because of our love for Christ. And the first question on your outline is, are you passionate to spend yourself to enter the rest that comes from God? That's what we talked about last week. And what does it mean to spend yourself? Well, there are two important points to remember in being diligent to spend yourself to enter that rest. We need to spend ourselves to know, not do anything, but know, know what Christ did. Know what he did on the cross for us, for guilty sinners. Spend yourself to know the gospel. Know gospel realities. Know gospel truths all the benefits of the gospel for us. I mean, how can we be diligent to enter his rest if we don't know what he's accomplished for us on the cross? And then the second thing is to spend yourself in entrusting your life to Christ, entrusting your life to Christ and his work on the cross. It's not enough to just know it. We must entrust, entrust our lives to it. And you know what? That means daily. That means hour by hour for me it means minute by minute to entrust our life to what Christ has done on the cross and this is a diligence that flows from the certainty it flows from the certainty that that God's wrath has been propitiated and what is propitiation? it's been satisfied God's wrath has been satisfied and not, not only that but it's been exhausted by Christ for us This certainty is a confident trust. It's a confident trust that what God said he did, he did. It's finished. Remember in Philippians 1, Paul says that he's confident. He's confident of the very thing that he who began a good work will complete it. And then on in Philippians 2, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not because of uncertainty, But work it out because we're confident and certain. Because we know that, on in verse 13 he says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then remember the last part of the passage in verse 11 says, that uh, So that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And we ask the question, how concerned are we about our disobedience? We need to preach the gospel to our disobedience. There's nothing accidental about us spending ourselves. We must be intentional, purposeful, and zealous to enter the great salvation rest that was achieved, um, achieved for us by Christ. So spend yourself to know first what Christ accomplished at the cross and the gospel truths and the benefits and realities and spend your, yourself in entrusting your life to them, to him, to Christ and his work on the cross. That's salvation's rest. That's the greater rest in Christ. And that was our question and challenge last week. Is this your passion? Is this our passion to be diligent? Remember, it's a command. You guys thinking about this throughout the week at all? I know I, I certainly have. 
I've been so convicted about this. And God has just revealed to me so much. And I'm so thankful I needed I needed to be warned in this. I can't coast. There's so much at stake. And that brings us to the second question on your outline. I think it's on the back side of your outline. Number two, are you passionate to search yourself with the word of God? Are you passionate to search yourself with the word of God? Look at Hebrews 4.12. Everybody's familiar with this verse, right? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's piercing as far, right? We've, a lot of us are familiar with that, with this. Maybe we've even memorized it. But maybe without paying close attention, seeing verse 11. Look back up at verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And then verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. For is explanatory. It's the explanation for why the reader needs to be diligent. So why does it say we need to be diligent? Because of God's word. We could read it like this. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. See, it's so important to understand what God's word is doing, whether we're aware of it or not. And most importantly, we need to know what it's doing with our heart. What it's doing with our heart. It's doing something. That's what Discipline 1 is all about. And the writer of Hebrews has already been making this very point about the heart. He's already pointed out the relationship between God's divine word and the human heart. All throughout chapter 3 and chapter 4. Remember, back in Hebrews 3, 7. It's again from Psalm 95. It says, today if you hear his voice, if you hear the words of God, do not harden your... What? Your heart. So he's saying there's a relationship between his words and our hearts. Verse 8 says, do not harden your hearts. Verse 10 says, he was angry with this generation. They always go astray with their heart. Verse 12 says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an unbelieving what? Heart. See how he's already been addressing the heart? Verse 15, he repeats Psalm 95 again today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There's an emphasis on the word and an emphasis on the heart. And then on in chapter 4, verse 7, he repeats it again. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God has intended that his words would intersect. His words would intersect with my heart, with your heart. And the problem that he's addressing is that our tendency is to make our hearts unreceptive to the word. That's the warning because we're prone to make them hard to his word. And here in verse 12, he's telling us how effective the word of God is with our hearts. Verse 12 says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and it's Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of it, of the heart. So the call in this entire section of scripture is this. If God's word, if his voice is doing this, if God's word is searching us, then the wisest thing to do is what? Participate. Participate with God's word. Cooperate with God's word. And we do that by giving it the platform to be most effective in our lives. And it's in its searching. So search yourself, but search yourself with God's word, not apart from his word. See the difference? See, God's word's already searching us. So see yourself as the word of God sees you. And then participate. Entering into God's salvation's rest depends on it. It depends on you participating with God's word in your life. I mean, the only ones who ever in redemptive history who entered the fullness of salvation's 
rest were the ones who humbled themselves before God's words and let his words come into contact with their hearts. This is serious. So now let's look at the specifics of verse 12. <clears throat> he says, for the word of God is living and active. In the Greek, okay, so I say that and I already just feel really weird because I don't know Greek. I sound really smart when I say it, but I barely know English. But, <laughs> but <laughs> so this. in the Greek, if you want to give a word in your sentence, the primary place of emphasis, the biggest impact, you put it in the front. You put it in the front of the sent- sentence. <clears throat> and so, let's look at what the very first word describing the word of God is in verse 12. It says it's living. It's, it's living. It would be translated in Greek, for living is the word of God. For living is the word of God. It, it's literally living like God is living. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Our living God has a living word. It's alive. God's word's alive, and it lives to penetrate our hearts and to search us. It lives to discern our hearts. Now, you know something can be alive, but it can be hibernating, right? Like a bear, or it can be alive and paralyzed, or it can be alive and in a coma, but not God's word. It's living. His word is alive. It's energetically alive for God's intentions and purposes in our hearts. And then what the author says next after living is very important. What does it say? The word of God is living and active, and it's like a little soft, cuddly teddy bear. No, that's not what it says, right? Scott uses this illustration and builds all the time. And we always try to improve on his illustrations, but it never works. We just can't do it, so we just use the same ones. But he, you know, he, he was saying, like, have you ever been to a football game, or I've seen it at graduations, and somebody takes out a beach ball, and they blow it up, and they throw it up in the air, and they begin to bat it around? And the ball, it looks like it's alive. You know, it's going everywhere. It's coming at one person and they hit it, bat, and it goes in one direction. And then the other person hits it, bat, and it goes in the completely other direction. And it's flying all over the place. It's going really fast. It's just flying here. It's flying there. And it looks like it's alive. And it looks like it's active, right? But it's at the mercy of every will that it comes to. And you know, that's the way a lot of people are doing church and doing Bible studies these days. They all kind of get together and they just kind of bat around God's word. Here's what I think it means to me, bat. Here's what it means to me, bat, goes flying the other direction. Here's what it means to me, bat, it goes flying in the other direction. As if it depends on what my will says. And I'm just going to bat it this way. And that's not what is being said here at all. You would never do that with something that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It doesn't say sharp. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now imagine this. Someone in the crowd, they take, they take out you know, a two-foot-long double-edged sword and they throw that thing up in the air. And all of a sudden, you know what? I don't think I'm going to bat that around. I don't think I'm going there. It's a two-foot double-edged sword, and it's the sharpest. Now, all of those individual wills, they don't really feel so superior anymore over that sword spinning, coming down, right? We're not going to take a swing at that. God's Word, it's living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like the handheld sword that a that a Roman soldier would use in hand-to-hand combat. And they knew that when it touched the other guy, it was going to do some serious damage. It was the sharpest uh, weapon in his arsenal. And listen to this. Its grip, it would would have been really well worn, and it would have been shaped just right for that one hand. Not, Not other hands, but just that one hand. 
that one soldier's hand. That sword was meant for his hand alone to be directed by his will alone. And God's word is that way. When we come into the presence of God's word, we need to humble ourselves and carefully place ourselves under his word, under the sharpest of all instruments, because there's somebody's hand on that word. God's hand is on that word, and he's guiding it perfectly. And you know where he's guiding it? He's guiding it to your inner being, to your inner man. So we should be very, very, very careful, very humble. We need to be gentle, because God's word is just not something that we should be throwing around. And when we're all together, maybe when we're counseling one another, we're encouraging one another, rebuking one another, we should be very careful not to bat it around. But to remember, it's, it's very sharp, and I need to handle it carefully. And, and I need to hand it to you carefully, humbly and gently. And the description keeps on building. It's sharp in order to penetrate deeply and accurately, and it's piercing. Verse 12 says, It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Basically, what I can't see physically with my own eyes, like my joints and my marrow, they all come together and form what's hidden. What's hidden from my sight and my inward being is not hidden from, from God's word at all. Soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's kind of an accumulation of terms expressing the inward part of man. And God's word it has no trouble penetrating. What is hidden from my sight my inward being, it's not hidden from God's word that's sharp and it's able to get there. And what does it do once it's there? Well, it's able to judge. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That word judge, it's a, it's a legal term and it means that it is the great critic of our hearts. The word of God, it doesn't open us up at the heart level and then just lay us bare and then and then say, you know what, hey, why don't you just go ahead and give your own opinion? And by the way, you know, why don't you just go ahead and get a second opinion? No, that's not what God's word does. It judges, it discerns, it's able. We're opened up before God so that it can give its opinion, so that can it so that it can give its rebuke, so that it can give its warning. And you know what? It can give its approval. It could give its approval where we have been conformed to the image of Christ. You know, I'm sure you see this in your own heart, but I know for me, I have trouble understanding my heart and discerning my heart. What's going on in there at times? You know, what my motives are? You know, when I'm left to my own discernment, but I usually have no trouble discerning yours, right? Anyone else's, I think I don't, but I do. Our motives, our thoughts and intentions, you know, they're, they're so tangled up and they're so intertwined and twisted together in our hearts. You know, we have, we have right thinking, we have sinful thinking, and they're just tangled up in our hearts. And I have trouble pulling it all apart and discerning. Left to myself, I can't search effectively to see what's going on in there. And I even tend to give myself the benefit of the doubt or to rationalize things away. Remember Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is desperately wicked and sick and who can discern? But thankfully, that is exactly what God's word does. It enables us. It enables me to search my heart. That's why our lives, your life, my life cannot be lived far away from this far away from God's word because your view of yourself, my view of myself, it's always going to be skewed. But if I have God's word in my heart, my mind, if I can see myself as, as God's word sees me. I can search myself as God's word searches me. And that's what we should desire and want. So knowing that God's word is this way, it is very wise for us, very wise for 
me. Very wise for you to participate with God's word in this searching. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know, it's really foolish to think that we can bluff or that we can manipulate or rationalize our way out of anything with God. We can't do that. It's foolish to think that we can keep secrets hidden from Him. I mean, we try to do that with one another. We can't, we can't do that with Him. You know, we can't keep our thoughts and our motives hidden from God. Here's the reality. What I keep most secret, the God of the Word finds. It finds it with the Word of God, and he subjects it to his gaze, his thorough gaze. That's the reality. So when we shepherd our, when we say, when we say this, when we say shepherd your heart to the Word of God, discipline one, what we're talking about is to position your heart. Position your heart before his Word. So that his word gives you an accurate view, an accurate perspective of where your heart is. That's the very best place to be. And again, all of this is given in verse 12 as the explanation as to why we should be diligent. To spend ourselves to enter salvation's rest because God's word is searching us. His words always functioned this way. His word was doing that with the people back in the wilderness when he was speaking through his voice. When you hear my voice... Don't harden your hearts. Participate with my voice. So don't fight it. Don't fight it. Don't harden your heart to God's word. Instead, participate with it. Invite it. Plead with God for an attitude that would want to invite. You know, Lord, please keep me from hardening my heart. I mean, we should be praying that. Plead for a careful, humble, humble, tender heart, an attitude, so that we can desire to see what it sees. If you do nothing, coast, you can expect nothing. You can expect that your inner man, your heart, even in its mixed condition, it will not be receptive to his word. So cooperate, participate, see yourself as as uh, the word of God sees you because there's just so much at stake. Are you passionate? Are you passionate to search yourself with the word of God? Number three, are you passionate to, here's our third passion, are you passionate to strip yourself before the God of the Word. Are you passionate to strip yourself before the God of the of the Word? Verse 12 describes the Word of God and what it does and sees. Remember, it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. And now verse 13 describes what the God of the Word sees. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So if you search yourself with God's word and you see it's been revealed to you that maybe you are hiding or maybe you've got a shield up. Maybe um, maybe you're wearing a mask. You've got a disguise over your heart. There's really no use in pretending that God doesn't see through it. See, because we're not hidden from his sight. We're not hidden from his sight. No creature is hidden from his sight. Rather, we're open. We're laid bare. We're, we're open and laid bare. We're naked before God. He's fully aware of everything in us. Everything that we are at the heart level. It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? I'm not... It kind of makes me uncomfortable to say this, to say these words like we're laid bare, we're naked before God, but it's a good description of how we are. So masking or disguising, covering up what we are before God, it just doesn't work. It's about as effective as, you know, remember your, your kids when they would close their eyes, you know, and think that you can't see them? You know, like when you play peekaboo. I, I, I love to play peekaboo. And, you know, peekaboo, where are you? And they totally think, you know, that they're hiding. And then they go, you know, here I am. Well, thinking that we can hide you know, whatever's going on inside of us, inside of our hearts from God's about as foolish as a, 
as a little child thinking that she's hiding from us. And this idea of being laid bare to the eyes of him, it's, it's really hard to know what exactly this laid bare is, not exactly sure, but at a minimum, it's parallel to the word naked or open or laid bare. Some think it's when you lifted up the head of the sacrificial animal, you know, and just lit its throat. It was laid bare. Um, some think it was a wrestling move that they used to use in the Olympic or gladiator games where they would wrestle naked and they would get their opponent down in a, in a hold where his neck was exposed. And, and he was very vulnerable at that point. He was laid bare. There was, there was nothing that he could do but, in our terms, tap out today or cry uncle or give up, submit. You're submissive and not in control. That's the point. But most likely, it's a lifting up the chin or lifting up the face. So to have um, full face-to-face contact, to have eye-to-eye contact. You know, I know you've all done this. I used to do this with my kids, and now I do it with my granddaughter. I see you moms doing it sometimes. But where you, you know, where you grab your child's little face, you know, and you kind of lift it up, you say, look in my eyes. Look at my eyes. I need to see. Look at look at my eyes. I need to see your eyes, right? Why do we do that? Because you want your child to know. You know what? I see what you're doing. I see, and I want your full attention. That's really what God's after. He's fully aware of everything in us at the heart level. And you know what we need to know? We need to know that God sees us. We just need to know that. We need to know it. We need to remind. God sees us. I'm not hiding anything from him. This is something we need to remind ourselves of constantly. It's good. It's good to remember this. So we need our eyes lifted up. And we need to be reminded. He sees through every one of our masks. So if God already right now sees us as we truly are, what should we do? Surrender. Surrender. We need to surrender and not fight it. You know what? (laughs) He is no longer our judge. He's our Father. Surrender. He already sees us stripped down at the heart. Don't fight it. Drop the mask. Drop the disguise. And, you know, tell God, God, I understand that you see me for who I truly am. And here's the foolish mask I was holding. It's gone. You know, God, he stripped it off long, long ago. So remind yourself frequently, God sees me. Strip yourself because nothing is hidden from God in the end, especially because look at verse 13. He says, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes with whom we have to do. Literally, it just means we have to give an account to him. And you know what would be the be the worst? Imagine this, that the very first time you have your mask stripped from you, naked before God, is judgment day. That would be the worst. And it doesn't have to be that way because there's safety in the gospel. There's safety in the gospel for you. You can drop the mask and not be judged on the spot for what you are. So think about this. Here's how we can put it all together in one sentence. Search yourself now with the word of God so that you're able to strip yourself before the God of the word. Why? All so that you can spend yourself. All so that you can spend yourself to make sure you enter into salvation's rest. I'll say it one more time. Search yourself now with the word of God so that you're able to strip yourself before the God of the word all so that you can spend yourself to make sure you enter into salvation's rest. Okay, so you have your three points. Those are from the passage, Hebrews 4, 11 through, through 13. And there's one more, the bonus one. And it's from the greater context of Hebrews. And it's this, number four. Soak yourself. Are you passionate to soak yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you passionate to soak yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hebrews 4, 11-13 is a very sobering warning. 
You might be walking away feeling very sober at this point, feeling very convicted. I know I am. And there's a sense of urgency in this command to be diligent to enter this great salvation's rest that's in Christ. And the writer's concerned that disobedience is gaining ground and that history is repeating itself. And it was just a very serious time and it needed a very serious warning. And I can't help but think that after hearing this, that there may be some conviction or maybe even some discouragement right now. Because you're not spending yourself. You're not searching yourself. You're not stripping yourself before the God of the Word. But the writer of Hebrews, he knows. He knows by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit exactly what we need to hear next. And what does he write next? We covered a little bit of this last week. Look at verse 14. Since we have a great high priest. Ladies, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. And that great high priest, he stands between us and God. He's on our side. And he's on our Father's side. And you know what? He's interceding for us there. He's interceding for us there. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, says, let us hold fast our confession. He's the one who back in chapter 1, verse 3, made purifications of sin. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's nothing more for him to do. It's done. He sits before God, and we need to preach ourselves this to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel, realities like this, to ourselves. The great one in chapter 2, verse 17, became a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That's the gospel. And then what the writer know that we needed to hear after this? He knew we needed to hear the gospel. Sisters in Christ, soak yourself in the gospel. And you know, I can't assume... It wouldn't be wise for me to assume that all of you are my sisters in Christ. I don't know your hearts. But regardless, regardless of where you are, soak yourself in the gospel. That's what you need. So we all need. Soak yourself in the gospel. And, and, and if he hasn't opened your eyes, well then soak yourself in the gospel so that he may open your eyes to see and your hearts to see if they haven't been opened to see your true need for a Savior. For salvation, to see his atoning work, that your eyes might see that you have a need for a new heart that only he can give to grant you true faith by grace and repentance. Soak yourself in the promises of the gospel that still flow to you from the right hand of the majesty on high. He's sitting down and they flow to you from there. And then look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Are you feeling weak? I know I'm feeling weak. Are you feeling weak? We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then look at what it says next. Therefore let us draw near with confidence listen we are what we are you're what you are I'm what I am he sees everything that we are he sees everything and you can be very discouraged and get weak feel weak in that and yet what does it say for us to do he says draw near he says draw near with confidence we don't have to run away and hide he says draw near with confidence we don't have to run away and think that I've got to go get my act together. I've got to go get my act together and, and, I, and I actually need to go beat myself up and then you know what, I'll come back. And then I'll draw near. I'll get better before I can approach the throne. No, he says, draw near now. Draw near. You're weak, draw near. Draw near to him with confidence. To the throne of what? To the throne of what you deserve? No. Draw near to the throne of grace. 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what we need. Ladies, God knows we're weak. He knows we're weak. He knows we're in need of mercy. And that we don't pursue him diligently as we should. God knows we need grace. He knows that you're in need. And you know what? That's who his son is for you. The one who provides all of those things. Look what he does for you. Look at chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 25. Soak yourself in this. It says he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since. And it doesn't say since we just kind of keep on, keeping on, pull ourselves up by our bootstrap. It doesn't say that. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Verse 27, it was indeed fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests who offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people, because this he did how many times? Because this he did once for all. Once for all for you. Once for all when he offered up himself. That's where our confidence is. It's not in ourselves. Our confidence is in him and what he's done once and for all. See, he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. We need to soak ourselves in all of his very great and precious promises. You, believer, can come with confidence to the throne of grace. He tells us to, knowing that he always lives. He always lives to make intercession for you. He's our great high priest. Let's pray. Father, what a sobering, sobering thought. And what an encouraging, encouraging God and Savior you are. Lord, I pray. I ask for your mercy. I ask for your help and your grace to be diligent to enter the rest that we now have in your Son. Thank you that he is always making intercession for us and he is our great and mighty and faithful, promise-keeping high priest. Lord, I pray as we, as we meet in our small groups that we would be encouraged. If we've been putting up any masks, Lord, that we would just throw them away, far away, and that we would be, so that we would be able to encourage one another in the hope that we have only in you. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Guess what? Next week, we're going to be moving on to discipline two, the home. So we're going to have a graduation from the heart. No, we don't graduate from the heart, right? Never. (laughs) We never graduate from that. So we're going to keep coming back and we're going to be having um, some time talking about the heart again. But next week we're going to start moving into discipline to the home. And your homework is due next week.